Amen. So we're going to be talking about foundation. We're going to be talking about heritage. I'd like you to turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 4. And we're going to read from verse 9. Deuteronomy 4 and 9. Do you have times when you get together with your family and you do, think, do kind of the same things each year? Tomorrow's the first day of fall, so maybe you have some fall activities or winter activities, get together for certain parties or gatherings or whatever. Looking forward to that. That happens a lot in the fall. But we're going to learn a little bit about not just that, but the better part of that. Only take heed to thyself. We're talking about teaching heritage here. And keep thy soul diligently, lest thou forget the things which thine eyes have seen, and lest they depart from thy heart all the days of thy life. But teach them to thy sons and thy sons' sons. A heritage is something that we live out in front of our family. It's something that we teach our family, we teach our children. but teach them to thy sons and to thy sons' sons. You may be seated. There was a little immigrant boy in New York City, and he had just arrived, and today was the first day at school. He was proud to be an American. He was proud to be um, this, in this new country. He went to school, and his teacher said, son, what's your name? And he had one of those difficult, long, hard to remember, not American type of names, if I could say it that way. And his teacher said, well, you're an American now. We're going to call you Harry. And he thought, great, I'm an American now. So he went home and his mom said, son, she called him by name. How was your first day at school? And she said, well, mom, that's not my name. My name's Harry now. And she said, you mean you are giving up on your family and your heritage and your religion? And she slapped him across the face. She sent him in to her husband. Honey, take care of him. He said, what have you done? Changed your name? And he slapped him across the face. So he goes to school the next morning. And the teacher sees two very red cheeks. And said, Harry, what happened? He said, I was only an American for four hours and I had two stupid immigrants slap me in the face. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, there's a lot in that joke. What's your heritage? Who's trying to change your kid's heritage? Are your children listening to you or somebody else? But ultimately, is that kid going to be called Harry or his original name? Are your children going to pick up, forgive me for pointing, are our children going to pick up our heritage? Are they going to hold on to it or are they going to let go of it? Are they going to value it? Are they going to see it lived out in front of them consistently? Or are they going to watch it not be, become that great thing? And so heritage is a critical thing. In Ephesians chapter 2, turn with me there now. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 20.
The Bible says we are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone. We're built upon a foundation. That's our inheritance. That's our heritage. We're built on that. I've done a little building in my life. Um, not professionally, but I've, I've worked on several projects. I've helped build several churches. I've helped build an addition to a house. Actually, a couple of additions to a house. I've helped rebuild a cabin and different things like that. So I've learned a couple of things about construction. And a person can have a really, and person needs to have a very firm, solid foundation, something really solid to build on. But it takes more than a solid foundation to build on. I've watched my grandkids and they've gotten the Lincoln logs out and they have put them together just right and built it and put the little roof on and everything was just fine. And they, and they had it on a solid space because when they would build something like that on the carpeting, it would be a little bit tippy and easy to tip over, especially if you build a tower and things like that. But they would, they would wa- I would watch them and they would build it on something solid. But then the little brother comes up. And despite the fact that the Lincoln logs were built on a solid foundation, they just knocked it off and the logs went flying everywhere. It's more than simply being built on a solid foundation. It's being attached to the solid foundation. Now that sounds a little silly, but there's a lot of construction where buildings are simply put on solid big rocks and they wait for gra- they just hope that gravity will hold them in place. They just hope that status quo will be the same, that there's not going to be anything to rattle these pieces of wood and knock the lumber or the timbers, whatever they might happen to be, off these rocks, off this, off this stone. But so long as, and that's fine, so long as there's not a big wind or an earthquake or something like that, but, but once that foundation is rattled a little bit or some wind comes along that's greater than that, that friction connection, doesn't matter that they have a good foundation. They're not attached to it. So if you know something about construction, let's go to the picture about where that piece of wood is, is bolted down. On a, on, a, on a foundation right there, you see that sill plate, that big piece of greenish lumber, treated lumber. They're bolting it down. They're attaching firmly the bottom piece of the house, if you will, the sill plate. I believe it's a sill plate to that foundation. It's not enough to simply be resting on the foundation, but you've got to be attached to it. Now, let me say this. I I was raised in church. My parents raised me. I went to Sunday school. Uh, Lance, uh, I'm not sure if I, I I don't, you may hear, may not be here. I'm not, I don't see you, but Lance McElhaney was one of my Sunday school teachers as a little kid, and she taught me well. But at that point, I was simply being put upon a foundation. And it wasn't until I got my own relationship with Jesus Christ that I attached myself to the foundation. It became more than simply setting on something that my parents built me on. I had to somehow say, I'm going to stay here. I value this. I am going to attach something to the foundation. I am going to be connected to my God. And when that happened, there was a dynamic shift in my heritage. 
It wasn't just my parents' heritage, it became my heritage. It wasn't just something that I'd seen them do, it became something that I was doing myself. And I would propose to you that in order for you to be effective in getting heritage taught to your children, that we do have to teach the bottom uh, foundational principles. We do have to teach that. We do have to build children upon that foundation, but ultimately it's gonna be their choice. But they were more likely make the choice to firmly connect with the foundation when they see us firmly connected with the foundation ourselves. Children can see right through us. I work with kids for many years and they can see right through the veneer of hypocrisy. But when children see mom and dad connected to God and the reality of it, it's like, okay, there's something that I want to pick up myself. So we're built on the foundation. We're built on the foundation. Forgive me for a little bit, but I'm going to talk about my foundation. My mom's dad, who's a Norwegian immigrant, and um, Candy, I see that it's 728. That means that I have 32 minutes to finish and make you happy. Now, it's, I see really big in that sign, that, that, that screen right up there, 728. So I'm going to be really careful here, okay? So my grandfather, he um, had been a part of the Lutheran church, and he saw some things that he didn't like, he didn't agree with, he didn't believe in. And so he left that church, brought his family out of that church, and he is a farmer, kind of out in the middle of nowhere, southern Minnesota, and he didn't have a church to go to. So he knew that tithing was an important principle. So what he did is he gave a tithe of his time. That would be 2.4 hours every day. He gave a tithe of his time. And he would go up into the loft of the barn and he would pray. My mother gave me a tour of the, of the farm uh, some years ago. And he would pray and he would pray, and it deeply influenced my mother to, while she was playing to hear her father praying up in the loft. Now, for a farmer, his time is money. And he gave up prime time to go pray and get a hold of God because that was his way of connecting with God. I'm talking about my heritage. What's your heritage? So we're going to talk a little bit about that more in the future. So when my grandfather died... My mother later, she became Pentecostal. She got the Holy Ghost. She knew what, uh, knew what Holy Ghost and speaking in tongues was. But when she was a girl, a young teenager, and her father was dying, she had no idea what tongues was. She had no idea what Pentecost was at that time. And my, my grandfather, who was in the living room, he's in a bed, he's dying, and he's praying. And in their home, they spoke Norwegian. And my mom asked her mother, my grandmother, asked her in Norwegian, Mom, what, what is dad saying? And my grandmother said, Hannah, I don't know what he's saying, but I know he's talking to God. And my grandfather got the Holy Ghost on his deathbed. Why did that happen? He was a man of prayer. He was a man of sacrifice to God. And God saw that. And that's part of my heritage. On my dad's side, it was during the Depression. My dad was a young boy. 
and there was a revival in central Illinois. It was harvest time, not a time when you would normally have some big event like that because the farmers are very busy in the fields, rapidly trying to get the crops in. But they had a tent meeting in, in a little town. I believe it was Atwood, Illinois. And my grandmother found out about it. She was not Pentecostal at all. She was Christian, of the Christian faith, I believe. And she went, went there and took my dad. And so, you know, picture this. This is almost, it's probably 90 years ago, something like that. And things were kind of rough and things were a little bit different. And Pentecost wasn't welcomed. And um, rules and guidelines were very different. And people came to the tent meeting to disturb it and scare people off. And so they're in the church and they're having church and the power of God is moving. And my grandmother, you know, I'm, I'm up here, but my grandmother was like about down right here. She was a, 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 a lady of small stature, but big personality. And somebody came to the tent meeting and they started shooting a pistol to scare people off. And she said, that pistol is not going to scare me off. I'm getting the Holy Ghost tonight. And she got the Holy Ghost. Now that's my heritage. It's a value system that says, I don't care about that. This is what I care about. See, these are things that have gone into my spiritual DNA. How did that get there? I was told about it. I was shown it. It was lived in front of me. But at some point, I had to pick that up and say, I value that too. My mom and dad, they were born in the 20s, so when World War II came around, they were of that age where my dad enlisted and my mother was working in a factory, a war factory and so on. My dad, he was, and I'll try to tell this quickly here, my dad was um, in the army, he enlisted in the army, and after a little while they pulled him out and they sent him to college in southern Minnesota officer's training school. He's going to be an engineer. And he was apostolic at the time. He had the Holy Ghost. And he, um, and he saw a leaflet on the ground. It said Pentecostal um, revival. And so he went to it. And he came to realize that it was a Trinity Pentecostal church, but it was a Pentecostal church and he wanted to go to church. And he was tired of all those sinful army guys. He was tired of all the gambling and the crowsing and everything. And he wanted to go pray. He wanted to go to church. He went to church and was blessed at church. He was blessed by God, but he was blessed by a girl too. <laughs> so he saw my mom. And, um, but came to find out that she was a Trinity Pentecostal girl. And they dated, but yet it was like he knew this isn't going to work out. And so... I have these letters from my mom and my dad back and forth when he was in the army and so on. And so they started out with, you know, like you might think, I like you, you like me type of stuff. Really not that, not, not that immature, but, you know, real simple, real shallow, that sort of thing. But then they stopped for a while because he realized, you know what, Hannah, she, she, is, she went to Bible school. As a matter of fact, she had gone to a Trinity Pentecostal Bible school in Minneapolis, and she went to Southern Minnesota to helped start a church. She was a musician. She sang. She played guitar. And she actually made a little recording at one point. And, but she was a soul winner like nobody's business. And she was now in this little college town, not her hometown, and she was helping to start a church. And she was helping in this revival and probably singing in that revival. 
And my dad saw all that and he liked her and appreciated the fact that she was a godly woman and so on and, and tried to make something happen and it fell on its face because she was that way and he was this way and it, that wasn't gonna work. So the letter stopped. But then the letter started back up and my dad was witnessing to her and he was telling her scriptures about the oneness and he was telling her about why that was so real and, and so on. And she started writing back and so on. And so I have a couple little things I want to share with you here. This letter is from my dad to my mom and from my mom to my dad, 1944 and 1945. July 29th, 1944. Dear Hannah girl. Whoa. So, dear Hannah girl, greetings in Christ. My dad was such a romantic. <laughs> so these letters, they, not this one in particular, but they kind of read like Bible studies back and forth. It's like, where's the romance? Well, we got to get this doctrinal stuff straightened out first. So my mom writes, my darling Johnny, woo. Now, this is coming from a girl who had been very Trinitarian, went to a Trinity Bible school, went to help start a Trinity church. She stood up for the Trinity. She believed in it, but she came to understand the oneness of the Godhead. So she writes, my darling Johnny, greetings in Jesus' name. She came to understand the truth of the oneness. You see, this is my heritage here, my value system. I wouldn't have had to pick this up. As a matter of fact, there were times when I didn't. There were times when I was listening to arguments about evolution and arguments about history and sociology and arguments about other things, and they were starting to get to me. I was listening to people. But when God got a hold of me, those arguments stopped because God helped me to understand what was real. My dad was overseas during the Battle of the Bulge. And he carried this little New Testament with him. Jake, it's a New Testament. This is a little army-issued New Testament, and it is my greatest heirloom. Of anything I've inherited, it's my greatest heirloom. My dad in here read it, reread it, wore it out, put a new cover on it. When all the guys were drinking and gambling and crowsing, he would sneak off and go to pray. This is my heritage. This is what my family lived in front of me. Brother Barkas, what are you trying to do? Why are you talking so much about you? I'm not trying to talk about me. I'm trying to talk about the example that was given to me. I'm trying to talk about godly people that said, we have got to put in this young man's life some values. We've got to live out some values in front of our children. We have to give them principles to live by. We can teach it. We can show it. But we've got to wait for them to pick it up. And so, parents, I challenge you, don't give up. 
giving that example to your kids. Don't give up with those relatives that are so diametrically opposed to the word of God. Don't give up praying for those people because you see God can touch their heart just like he touched my heart, just like he touched my grandfather's heart and my grandmother's heart and my parents' heart and so on and so forth. So my grandfather is in the Battle of the Bulge. When he got there, there were three soldiers in one foxhole. He said, we had one raincoat to cover up with. It's freezing cold. One of the coldest winters. If you know anything about history and military warfare, you know that was one of the worst winters they'd had in a long time. It was extremely difficult. He was on the Maginot Line, and the, the Germans were attacking. The Bulge was taking place, and they were thwarting that and fighting that back in the 7th Army and so on. And at one point, he said, I just, and he wrote some history out, and he said, I just wanted to go pray. I couldn't, I, I couldn't pray in front of those guys. I just, I just wanted to be able to cry out to God and pray out loud to God. He's writing this and, and so on. And he said, in, in, a, in a World War II, World War I bunker, he went down on the Maginot Line, way down deep into the ground, and the, the stairs were broken out, and he had, to, he had to walk down on rebar, sticking out of the inside of that silo in the ground. And he got way down to the bottom, he and another Christian young man. And they got a hold of God, and they prayed, and they poured their hearts out to God. And if it were me, I would have been praying for my life. I would have been praying to live. I would have been praying for that sort of thing. But he said, I prayed for the cause. The cause of freedom, the cause of righteousness, the cause of America. He valued prayer. You see, these are my virtues. My, my virtues, yes, because I've picked them up. These are my heritage that has been given to me. God wants us to make a heritage, to live a heritage, to share a heritage to encourage a heritage with our families. This is family week. And God wants us to be able to give that to our children. Because you see, there is so much that can be preached from the pulpit. There is only so much, I should say, that can be preached from the pulpit. But when you live out in front of your children, in front of your relatives, be your children, be they adults or children, that is able to impact lives in a deep and a mighty way, in a powerful way. And that's what God intended. You see, God created families. God created Adam and Eve. He said, be fruitful and multiply. Candy talked about this. Incidentally, there's some great podcasts this family month. Brother How can share more information about that. You need to listen to those. There's good information on there about strengthening families and so on. But my wife made a comment about God made families. And why did he do that? So that they could not only create children, of course, but they could influence those children and could create that continuity of heritage. My dad lived, thankfully, went back, married his sweetheart, and I'm history. <laughs> and I'm pretty glad for it. But you know, for them to give me life is one thing. But for them to teach me about eternal life, that's a different story altogether. So I have a great heritage. I'm, I'm, I'm honored. Is everything great in my family? Of course not. We have our share of dysfunction. I remember driving one time with my parents. <laughs> and they used to listen to a radio station. God bless them. KNOF. And I said, 
when I grow up, I am never going to listen to that kind of music. I'll call it, not Southern gospel, I'll call it twang gospel. No, and I enjoy Southern gospel occasionally, but at the time, baby. I mean, it was like cornball gospel. You know, and there were just some things that was like, that was part of my heritage. But, you know, you don't have to pick up everything in your heritage, right? <laughs> have you ever inherited something that you didn't want to inherit? Have you ever been, been, been bequeathed something? Well, the Bible says children are inheritance of the Lord. <laughs> but we get to keep them, right? I did hear about a lady just recently who inherited or was given, was supposed to inherit $20,000, true story. And she turned it down. She didn't say why. So the money just reverted back to the state in case she ever changes her mind. People don't have to receive the inheritance. They don't have to receive the heritage. But if we live out the value system, it'll happen. Train up a child, and when he's old, he won't depart from it. They'll have that value system. So what if you don't have a great heritage? Brother Barkus, my heritage and my family, you might say, my family is this problem and that problem, and I don't have a heritage. My heritage is alcoholism. My heritage is I don't even know my dad, my mom running around. That's my heritage, you might say. My heritage is abuse. My heritage is, is dishonesty. That's, and that's, my, that's my heritage. You know, the wonderful thing about God is that we can start inheritance and heritage and foundations from the very beginning ourselves. Do you realize that just like the lady that says, I don't want that $20,000 inheritance, you can say, I reject the heritage of abuse. I reject the heritage of rejection. I reject the heritage of sin. I am going to start again and create my own heritage. Now, it's a shame when people have good heritage and they reject it. I had the privilege of taking, uh, of joining, I should say, Erica um, Grover, our oldest daughter, in Norway just recently. She had a business trip to England and she thought, you've picked up that we have relatives in Norway probably. And um, she was going to have a business trip, and she decided to go to Norway for a few days ahead of time. And so I thought, I'll just meet you over there and introduce you to some family and go to some places and so on. And so we did. I introduced her to some eight or nine different relatives. What, a, what an experience. We went to the family farm over there that our family farmed for 304 years. It's just, it's heritage. It was, to me, it was so rewarding to show her not just the beauty of the country, but the people that are relatives and where our family lived. But when I was over there, I saw something. And it just captivated my attention. Now, this is not anything from my family. This is a bride's box. Handmade. You see the date on the front? 1854. I think that's what it says. 1854. So, a couple got married... And the man made this box, handmade. It's a, a traditional Norwegian bent wood thing. Again, it's not my family. Bend the wood, hand wrought hinges, hand wrought lock, carve the top out, 
This is my name. This is my sweetheart's name. We got married in 1854. How does an heirloom like this end up for sale? For six or seven generations, probably, this has been passed down from father to son, father to son, or maybe mother to daughter. I don't know. But it's been in the family, all in some family, all that time. But since somebody decided, you know what? That's a stupid old thing. I'm, started, I'm tired of looking at it. And they gave it away. And I bought it for next to nothing because I valued it. There will be people that have heirlooms that they simply say, eh, that's just an antique. Matter of fact, that's just goodwill stuff. The Holy Ghost, eh, that's just, that's old stuff. That's not for me anymore. But our goal is not just to talk about this neat old piece of something, but rather to create a love for our God that's infectious. Something that is so tangible that our kids pick it up and say, I'm never getting rid of that. I'm never giving that up. But what if you have a heritage that's not good? I'd like you to turn with me to Joshua chapter 2. We're going to look, about, look at somebody that their heritage was um, less than ideal, I suppose I could say. So I'm going to read a few verses here. We'll start with Joshua chapter 2, verse 1. And Joshua, the son of Nun, sent out of Shidom two men of spy to spy secretly, saying, Go to view the land, even Jericho. And they went and came to an harlot's house named Rahab and lodged there. Verse 6. But she, Rahab, had brought them up to the roof of the house and hid them with the stalks of flax, which she had laid in order upon the roof. The king was after these spies. She took them in. She hid them. She became an ally with the enemy. But it wasn't just an ally with the enemy. Let's take a look at verse 12, and we read down through 16 or jump around a little bit in there. Now, therefore, I pray you, this is Rahab talking. Swear unto me by the Lord, since I have showed you kindness, that you will also show kindness unto my father's house and give me a true token. So what had happened here, she said, I know that your people are going to attack us. I know that we're going to lose. I don't want to die like everybody else. I see you coming in here. I know that you're spies. I've protected you. Now I want you to give me a token, some sort of a promise that you're going to protect our lives. You probably know the story well. Verse 13, and that ye will save alive my father and my mother and my brethren, my sisters and all that they have and deliver our lives from death. And the man answered, our lives for yours, if ye utter not this business. And it shall be when the Lord hath given us the land that we will deal kindly and truly with thee. And she let them die on by accord. Verse 16, and she said unto them, get you to the mountain Verse 18, behold, when we were coming to the land, we shall bind this line of scarlet thread on the window which thou didst let down thou. 
And that was going to be the sign. That was going to be the protection. Now let's take a look at Rahab here for a little bit. She was a harlot. I know that some people say that that really doesn't mean that she was a harlot. We know that she, but it does say harlot almost every time in the Old Testament when the word harlot is used. By context, we know that it means harlot. She was called a harlot in the New Testament. Even that, if that weren't the case, she was living as a pagan woman in a pagan town. Now stay with me for a little bit here. Where was her house? Her house was built upon the wall. We know that the walls of some of those cities were 12 to 15 feet wide, so it would be reasonable to have a house uh, of small dimensions on top of the roof or on top of the wall like that. that. That's understandable. It's understandable if her house is on top of the wall that other houses probably aren't going to be looking down what's happening up on the roof. So it would be a safe place to hide and so on. So her foundation, the foundation of her home, the foundation of her business, the foundation of her value system was based upon that wall. Now, it was a town where there was paganism. And in that town, according to Haley's handbook and according to other studies recently, they have found that in several towns that they would, the Canaanites, or the, maybe not the Canaanites, but the pagans of, the, of, we'll talk about Jericho. The pagans of Jericho, they would put their babies that were just born and killed and they would sacrifice them like that and they would put them in the wall and put masonry around them as a dedication to their God. So the foundation to this woman's house was pagan. Her foundation, her heritage, if you will, had paganism. It had child sacrifice. It was evil. It was worshipers probably of Moloch. So her heritage was killing kids. She didn't have a good heritage. If she was indeed a harlot, like the Bible says, that's not a good heritage. The family, what, what, is, that? what, what is that to inherit? But when she saw and I don't have time to read all this, but when she saw that God had protected those people, that God had fought the battle, and she said, your God, the Lord God, the Lord God fought, the Lord God did this, she was acknowledging that the Jews' God was stronger than their God. She was acknowledging that their heritage was better than her heritage. And so, yes, I believe that she was being uh, motivated by fear to get away from death. I get that. There are people that are motivated by, by fear to get away from death that come here and come down to be prayed for. But God looks past the fact that they're simply coming to church because of fear. And he can turn those people into people of faith because something happens inside when a healing takes place. Something happens inside when you're touched by the power of God. And so this woman, Rahab, her heritage built upon child killing and so on. She said, I'm done with this. And she put that scarlet cord out. She brought her family in. Now, here's an interesting part. Normally, we think of the parents giving the children the heritage. But here's Rahab 
who had a bad heritage, she said, I'm going to bring my parents in and her family, and she's going to give her parents a good heritage. She was pushing good heritage up the line to her adult parents. When we come to God, when, when we see somebody saved and a life is changed, it doesn't just become the start there going down the line of genealogy that can impact other people. When we decide, I am changing what I'm doing. I'm changing my value system. I'm changing my heritage. God can do that in both directions. Now, what happened with Rahab, you know the story. Most of you know the story well. She wasn't killed, of course. She was able to get out of that horrible destruction, the destruction of everything and everybody in that town. She was able to join the Jews. She was able to move with them. She married into them. She became, I think it was the great-grandmother of King David. Here's a lady who changed her heritage. Here's a lady who had bad heritage and said, I am done with that. I'm going to change my heritage. And she not only started with, she didn't just start with fear, but it turned into faith. It turned into relationship. It turned into genealogy that goes all the way to Christ. Wow. Because she said, I am going to change that value system. Now, my grandmother, my grandfather, my mom and my dad, they all had an opportunity to say, forget it. My dad didn't have to get the Holy Ghost. He could have given into temptation overseas. He could have said, hang this prayer stuff. I'm too embarrassed to do that. My grandmother could have been scared by the gun. My grandfather could have said, I've got to get out there and bring in the hay. My mother could have said, I'm a Trinitarian. I'm going to stick with this stuff. Every one of us has an opportunity to either stay short of where we could be or decide, I am going to continue to draw closer to God. Every one of us has the potential to have a stronger heritage. Just this last Sunday night, we had a baptism after church was dismissed. And there was a man that was baptized and his wife has been wanting him to get baptized for decades. She kept on praying. She kept on praying. She kept on praying. <laughs> she kept on praying. And she saw her husband's heart change to where he wanted to be baptized, where he came into the waters and he needed help to get in. Several people had to lift him in the water. It was a potentially dangerous and certainly a scary experience because he had a trach in his throat. He has cancer, difficult situation. But when he came up out of the water and he was praying and he was, he was you could see a new vision, visions, visage on his face. You could see a smile. You could hear him, not, maybe not hear, but see him mouthing words because he didn't have that power to talk like that. But that was God saying, I will let you change your heritage. So here we're, we're, we're talking about... Yeah, let's give the Lord a hand praise for, for Bill. God bless him. Thank God. <laughs> Hebrews chapter 4. And we're wrapping up here. 
hope you'll forgive me for telling family stories, but it, it, it makes a point of, my God, this is value. Hebrews chapter 4, we're reading here about Joseph, 21 and 22. Do you have that verse up there? I don't see that verse. Okay, something went wrong. I'll just go ahead and, and tell you the story. Forgive me. I don't know what happened. Um, Joseph is dying. He has his two grandsons with him. And he stands up, holds on to his staff, and he blesses his sons, grandsons. What is he doing? He's transferring the heritage. You know the story of Jacob and Esau. Esau didn't appreciate the heritage. Jacob got it through deception. But here Joseph is passing it along in a positive way. That was the correct verse there. Thank you. And, and, did I say Joseph? I said Joseph, forgive me, Jacob. And so he's, he's standing up. Leaning on his staff. Blessing these grandsons. And he worships. And he dies. What's the last thing he wants to do? I can see this old man. He still has his senses. He can still speak. He doesn't have enough strength to stand on his own. But I think probably out of reverence to God, maybe out of making a point to his grandsons, he stands up and leans on his staff and he looks at the boys, the men, however old they might be, and blesses them and he's passing along the value system. He never stopped passing along that value system to the point that he died. He passes it along and he worships. In front of his grandboys, he worships and shows them, boys, never stop worshiping. Never stop living for God because this system works. So as I wrap it up here and, 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 and we're talking, like I said this month, about family, let me encourage you to strengthen your family. Let me encourage you to have fun together with your family. Have game time together. Break out the popcorn and the Monopoly or whatever it is you like to play. Go on walks together. Go play football together. Whatever it is, go have fun together. Because that's part of heritage. Face to face, elbow to elbow. Having fun together. But make sure that you share. I encourage you to share as you do. Share your value system. I, I, I didn't intend to even share this today. I had, had no intention with connecting this at all. But it was my pleasure to stop by to visit my grandfather. My, my, my grandfather. My kid's grandfather, I'm trying to say. George Coogan. And we're just, we're just talking. We're talking about God. Talking about value system. Talking about calling people and encouraging people. It's value system. George, thank you for that. Thank you for your life. When we realize that we need the foundation of God, 
is critical. Now, maybe you've got a messed up foundation, and it's like, my God, how in the world do I get a new foundation? I can't do this on my own. Rahab had the help of those spies. She had the help of those Hebrew people that took her in and her family and showed them about God. You might not be able to come up with a new foundation on your own. But I'd like to show you a picture about that moving to a new foundation. You see, there's people in this church that want to help you get to a different place. There's a broken foundation. There's another picture after that. You might look down on your life and say, man, my family, we're messed up. I got a broken foundation. Let's move to another foundation. How does this happen? It's the family of God saying, we got to get together. We got to bind together. And you might think, I could never do this on my own. Let me tell you, the family of God will help you. The family of God will take you in. The family of God will strengthen you when you don't have strength. The family of God will take you in and love you and teach you and encourage you. They'll, they'll provide for you the love that you didn't get at home. The family of God will help you straighten things out in a way that you thought could never happen. How do you take a woman who has been raised a pagan, living 20 feet above dead babies in the wall, by God's people saying, come with us and we'll show you a different way. They wanted to share their value system. Let's all stand together. So I have this New Testament here. I value it. But I don't worship it because it was my dad's. I read it. It's possible to come to church just because a grandpa came to church. But when you come to church because you love God, ah, then you're a different person altogether. Lord, I thank you for the power of your word. I thank you, Jesus, that we can have indeed a different life, that we can have indeed a different hope. I thank you, Lord Jesus, that you put within us, that you can put within us, Lord, a new value system. And Jesus, I pray that you'll help us, God, help each of us to individually consider what our value system is. Help us to strengthen it. Help us to change it, whatever needs to be changed, God. Lord, if we see people that need help, God, help us, I pray, to do our work as the family of God to help change lives. We thank you, Lord. Thank you for the power of the Holy Ghost, God. We thank you, Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen, amen.